Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Just yesterday, the United States launched Americans uh, into space from American so soil for the first time since the retirement of the space shuttle. If you listen to any of the reports afterwards, people talked about how uh, it ushered in a new era and how it united uh, not just America, but it united the entire world with that rocket reaching up to the sky. Global unity is a great thing, especially right now. But human ingenuity can only reach so far. And unity over man's achievements can only do so much. This is evident especially by the Tower of Babel, in which the people tried to reach heaven by their own hands. This was much more than simply wanting to explore the upper atmosphere. These people were trying to reach heaven by their own works. This was blasphemy. So God did something at Babel. He disunited them causing them each to speak in different languages and forcing them to spread out over all the world as God had originally commanded all the way back at the Garden of Eden. But now, thousands of years later, at the festival of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover and Jesus' death and resurrection, people from all over the world, from different languages and countries, are again gathered in one place of the city of Jerusalem. And God undoes what was done at Babel. He undoes the disunity of Babel, and he allows them to hear the word of God preached in their own languages. The unity of the Spirit through the word of God in Christ Jesus is a closer, more intimate, and more eternal unity than anything our hands could create. In fact, we confess that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Ghost has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts in the same way that he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. We can't see the, the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But Christians everywhere, of every language, have the unity of spirit. In spite of persecution, in spite of separation, in spite of the inability for communication. We can't see the church, which is why, like the Holy Spirit, we believe in it. And this means that even though we might not even be able to see our whole congregation right now, we too are united in spirit. And not just sentimentally, but actually, really united by the spirit. So let's rejoice at this great unity. Normally, at this point, I would ask you to stand and sing our festival hymn. Uh, but for the time being, I, I now invite you to, to meditate uh, as you sit on the words to that hymn. Uh, as we hear prelude on the melody of O Holy Spirit, Enter In. You can find uh, the words if you want in your hymnal. Otherwise, there's a verse printed on the last, second to last page of your service folder.
The text for our sermon this morning, the Holy Ghost, is constantly recorded in Acts chapter 2. Uh, please stand as I read just a few verses in Jesus' name. Peter answered them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of all your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call. He testified solemnly and with many other words and was appealing to them, saying, Escape from this crooked generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. They continued to hold firmly to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. And we pray. Heavenly Father, sanctify us through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Ten days before Pentecost, ten days before now, Jesus ascended into heaven. But before he did, Jesus himself put a stay-at-home order on the disciples. Not so that they wouldn't catch a virus, but so that they would, in a sense, catch the Holy Spirit. He said, but stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I told you. So they go back to Jerusalem, waiting, going to the temple continually. But I also presume that means they go individually. And on the day of Pentecost, Everyone is again gathered together in one place again for the first time. And an amazing thing happens. Suddenly a sound like the rushing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw divided tongues that were like fire resting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. And the result of all this, and the result of particular Peter's preaching, is that 3,000 people, were added to the Christian church on that one day alone. It was thrilling and exciting to see the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit worked in a magnificent, miraculous, and visible and dramatic way. This was the beginning, the very beginning, of the New Testament church. You and I are the fruit of that event. We wouldn't be here today if it were not for Pentecost. But today, for those of you who are here, it may seem like a new beginning, too. A new beginning where everything seems much worse than it was before. We're worshiping in person, sort of, for the first time in three months. The Holy Spirit is with us, too, but there's not 3,000 of us, and there won't be. It definitely does not seem like the Holy Spirit is working in a magnificent, miraculous, or dramatic way. But some things are not so different, especially with what Pentecost reveals to us about the working of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that although it doesn't look like it, the Holy Spirit is just as much as work today as he was on that day of Pentecost. And so of all the festivals of the church, including Christmas and Easter, there is none which has more to say about my life right now than Pentecost. Jesus 
has ascended. He's clearly gone. And I have not personally had an experience like St. Thomas had where Jesus appears to me visibly and shows me his wounds. Maybe you have, but I haven't. So the question is this. How is Jesus present in what I perceive to be his absence? And the answer is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Jesus' abiding presence in the midst of his absence. The Holy Spirit is a real person who acts in very specific ways to bring Jesus to you. Now, most Christians get the Holy Spirit wrong. You can go to any non-denominational church around, and what they try to do is they stir up the Holy Spirit in their midst. And usually the measure for that is emotion. Can you feel the Holy Spirit? And so music is especially used to stir your emotion so you can feel the Holy Spirit. It's a thing that you do so that God can come to you. And if they could stir your emotions and get you to feel good about being there and make you believe that the Holy Spirit must be working and that God must be at work. And if God must be at work, then, then you need to decide right then and there to follow Jesus and be baptized. Maybe for the second, third, or fourth time. And so they can get a ton of people to go and be excited and, and be baptized again. Simply, they try to recreate Pentecost. Their answer to the question, how is Jesus present, is that Jesus is present when you feel the Holy Spirit. But what this implies is that the Holy Spirit is only present when you can feel him. Then it means that Jesus is only with you some of the time. And this is such an unfortunate thing because it hinges the comfort and peace of Jesus not on Jesus' words, but on your feelings, on you. And so how do you know then what your status is before God? How do you know how God feels about you? How do you know how, uh, that God is actually present and, and caring for the world and actually continues to provide for the world? If you get the Holy Spirit wrong, you don't. You don't know any of this. But Pentecost doesn't prescribe to us what the Holy Spirit's work should feel like. Pentecost shows to us what the Holy Spirit's work is, what it means. It shows us that the Holy Spirit works through very specific ways. And because the Holy Spirit works through these very specific ways, the Holy Spirit reveals to you that not only is Jesus God with you at all times in your life, but that when he is with you in his word and sacraments, he is God for you. After all, the Holy Spirit is the one who made Peter able to preach a, a sermon that convicted the whole crowd. And remember, Peter before had been a big talker, someone who talked bigger than he actually was. In fact, Peter was probably the most insecure of all the disciples, cowering when it finally came time to confess Jesus. But Jesus forgave Peter for his denial and told Peter 
to take care of his sheep. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers Peter to do this. Not by magically making Peter a better, a better speaker, but he takes Peter's insecurities, his boldness in himself, and his weakness in confessing Christ, and he turns it around. He confirms Peter in the one true faith. He confirms and sanctifies Peter's faith and trust in Jesus. And the way he did this was very specific, through words. Not just any words, not some emotional pep talk, but the words of forgiveness and promise from Jesus. And the Holy Spirit continues working through the words of forgiveness and promise of Jesus, including the words that come out of your pastor's mouth. The Holy Spirit makes my words powerful and life-giving, not because of my eloquence or wisdom, not by my ability to stir your emotions, but because the Word of God itself is powerful. And so, through the Word of God, it will be the Holy Spirit who will be poured out later today on Israel, confirming Israel in the one true faith, the faith into which he was baptized, allowing him to make the confession just as Peter had done before. The Holy Spirit is the one who attaches the word of promise to water. The waters that are poured over your head. And he makes water more than water. He makes it a life-giving fountain, a baptism. A baptism that it's because of his work only needs to be done once. A second or third baptism, in fact, says to the Holy Spirit, you weren't powerful enough to work the first time when I was young, so I've got to make up for it now. But notice in Peter's sermon, he doesn't say, repent and be baptized only if you feel the Holy Spirit, only if you've decided to believe in Jesus, only be baptized if you're old enough to know the significance of it. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away. And finally, the Holy Spirit is the transforming agent who makes bread and wine, not merely bread and wine, but also and actually the Lord's body and blood, which with uh, touching you with these gifts actually heals your greatest sickness. This personal reception of Jesus in the Lord's Supper is the culmination that everything we've been working for in confirmation class. In fact, the Lord's Supper is the culmination of all Christian catechesis and of all Christian preaching because it brings Christ personally to you. In his real body and blood to abide with you. This is how we answer the question, how is Jesus present in what I perceive to be his absence? We answer, Jesus is actually present in his body and blood for you, for the forgiveness of all your sins through the working of the Holy Spirit. The fact that the Holy Spirit works through these specific means also means that your feelings have absolutely no bearing 
on the Holy Spirit's work. And so this affects how we make sense of things happening out in the world. One of the things Jesus said in our gospel lesson is that the Holy Spirit brings you peace. And it's a peace that you have even though the devil is the ruler of the world. Because as Jesus will say later in the gospel, the ruler of the world has been judged. For the work of the Holy Spirit. And so don't look for peace in what the world can give or even how the world can make you feel. Because if we go by what our eyes can see, what we can experience, we will be discouraged. But the Holy Spirit assures us that no matter what we see, the things around us that just seem so wicked and unfair, whether they be the unjust murder of a black man in Minneapolis this past week, or the violent riots and utter disregard of others' means of making a living that are taking place now, whether it be a flood in Michigan, or whether it be sin in our own families and the hurt that we see in our own lives. The Holy Spirit assures us that because of Jesus, these things that are so evil and wicked have been overcome and judged. The things that seem so wicked and unfair, even in your own personal life, have been judged. Jesus has conquered them. And so the Holy Spirit brings you a peace that the world cannot give. The Holy Spirit promises us that we have victory. Jesus, who has already overcome the world, will come back in the same way that we have seen him go into heaven to bring us back to be united with him in glory. And so in the midst of the struggles of life, in spite of what our feelings and our eyes may tell us, we have peace. We have hope. And through the Holy Spirit, we will be able to confess him all the days of our life. The Holy Spirit worked through the miraculous, magnificent, and dramatic way of Pentecost so that today we can know what it is, when he do, when he, what, what it is that he does when he comes humbly. The Holy Spirit is our comforter and our guide, not just when our lives are full of the magnificent or miraculous or dramatic, but when our lives are ordinary, when our lives are dull, when our lives are full of sorrow, when we hurt, when we're weak. That's when the Holy Spirit is at work, confirming our faith. Things are not so different now. The way the Holy Spirit worked at Pentecost is no different than how he works today. It may look different, it may feel vastly different, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit are brought to us today no less than they were to those believers gathered in Jerusalem. And so one final thing. At the end of our section in Acts, we actually have an outline of what the divine service looked like for that first ever New Testament church. And the first ever New Testament church service had three things. The apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. A sermon, the Lord's Supper, and prayers. God's word and sacraments. That's the basic divine service. That's all you need. That's all you need to remain steadfast in the one true faith. 
Here, God gives you everything that you need. You don't need to recreate the feeling of Pentecost in order to be certain of Jesus' presence. Because God has promised to give you his gifts, to give you Jesus, to give you the Holy Spirit through his word and sacraments. The Holy Spirit brings you what you need. So happy Pentecost. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.